Diane Maroney here today on Applaudable Perspectives. Uh, Diane is the creator of the Imagine Project. And when you Google the Imagine Project, you get all kinds of things. But eventually, if you look, you do find Diane Maroney, too. Uh, Diane, welcome, welcome. We are delighted to have you today. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here. Well, wonderful. Diane is calling from Colorado. And um, Diane has done three books. She has a video. The books are Stories of Courage, Hope, and Love, Giving Kids a Voice for Positive Change. She also has a children's book about Byron the Caterpillar, who loved <laughs> to imagine. And um, I want to talk a little bit about you and your background and how you ended up being where you are. And, and you've helped so many people across the globe with the Imagine Project. So let's start with a little bit about who you are and a little bit about your background. And I, I know a lot of it already, so I'm going to shut up and let you talk. But go ahead. <laughs> Well, thank you. Um, so I am, as you said, I live outside of Denver in a little town called Parker, Colorado. Um, I am a nurse. I'm a clinical nurse specialist in psychiatric mental health nursing, which is um, a unique specialty. It's kind of like a mini psychiatrist to most people. But for me, it gives me a license to do what I do with the Imagine Project. And you yeah. also have been a, neo a neonatal nurse as well, correct? Yes, yes, I was for many years. And then I had a preemie who, uh, our daughter, Mackenzie, she was, she's 28 now and doing great, but she was born at one pound, 12 ounces. So she was pretty tiny. Was not supposed to live, right? Didn't they, weren't there people that were like, this girl's, this little girl's not going to make it, right? Yeah, there was lots of concern about that and lots of concern about long-term disabilities. And so it's pretty remarkable that she is doing as well as she is today. And I mean, she, you never know, except for her size, she's tiny. But She's um, gorgeous, absolutely gorgeous young lady. Thank you. Thank you. She's pretty special. Um in all of our eyes, but for so many reasons. But anyway, so after she was born, I kind of went in a different direction, decided to look at trauma in uh, children and babies and trauma in myself. There wasn't a lot in the 90s. There wasn't a lot spoken about trauma with babies and how to treat it. And it um, wasn't even thought that it was even an issue, actually, that babies never felt trauma. Mm -hmm. And that's, you know, that's changed. But anyway, so that's how it projected me into... Um, the Imagine Project, because when I started speaking and talking about trauma with preemies and in the neonatal world, I asked other parents to write their story using the word imagine. And they told their stories of how difficult it was parenting these babies. And it was such a powerful way to tell their story. And so then in 2010, I decided to take it out further into the world and, you know, beyond just prematurity or neonatal world. And I started asking, um, I started traveling across the country, at, um, finding ordinary people with extraordinary stories. And I asked them to write their story using the word imagine for every sentence. So every sentence uh, begins with the word imagine. So we're asking people to imagine this life and how they mm -hmm. overcame it. And then visualization um, in some ways. Yes. It's, like, um, it's seeing, seeing beyond, seeing beyond what, what, what has happened and then seeing beyond what the possibilities are. 
Well, it's a it's kind of in a uh, safe engagement of telling your story, a difficult story. You know, like a child will talk about um, imagine uh, growing up in a, a home that you love. Imagine your parents coming home one day and saying they're getting a divorce. Imagine having to live in two homes. Imagine worrying about your parents fighting, you know, so. But but so that child is asking other people to imagine their life. And but yet they're saying it in a very safe way. And then part of the Imagine Project is to ask them to imagine how do you want that story to end? So somebody in that with that story might say, imagine my parents liking each other. Imagine my parents getting along. Imagine we even go on vacation together. Imagine I'm doing fine. Um, you know, so that sort of thing. And asking them to um imagine new possibilities or how, what have they learned from it? How has the story gone in a positive direction so that they, they can own their story, but they can also see new possibilities with it. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And, and heal from whatever trauma that they had already gone through. I mean, they, they don't, whatever's happened to a person doesn't have to define them for the rest of their life. They can, they can be a victim or they can be a victor depending upon how they uh, process whatever's happened to them, I, I guess is the best way to Well, put it. absolutely. And we're, we're trying to teach kids that we're trying to teach that they don't have to be defined by that story because I've seen over and over again, kids from all walks of life, they tell their story and they sink, they sink into the sad, deep, dark place. And then they, um, once they're able to tell their story, I mean, just talking about your problems helps, but when you mm -hmm. have a powerful format that has a positive twist to it, you know, and you're sharing it with your peers, it's really um, a huge process in healing. And, you know, in a classroom, when kids do it in a classroom, they share their stories with each other, depending upon their age and if they want to or not, it's, it's optional. But it creates this camaraderie because we need socialization as part of our um, healing process. You know, they know that um, in the research that we need a connection to help us to be strong and resilient. That's part of resiliency. So the Imagine Project creates that in a classroom. It's really beautiful, actually. Mm -hmm. And so it's a it's a very positive thing that, um, you know, there's it's a journal format. So just to explain a little bit more about the Imagine Project is it's um, seven, there's four different journals. There's kids, uh, there's kindies, and then there's kids, and then there's teens and adults. And it's a seven-step process. Everything but the kindy one is a little bit different, but it's the same seven-step process in asking them to use this these seven steps to tell their story using the word imagine. So mm -hmm. it's, you know, all those journals are available for free on theimagineproject.org. So anywhere in the world can download these journals and use them. And, and you also have them translated in Spanish as well, and, and, and really it's being used all around the world, correct? Yes, yes. It's being used in, I think, 23 countries and wow. in every, every state. And we've reached, this is just a, probably a low estimate, but we've reached over 300,000 kids in the last six years. And um, it's growing. That's extraordinary. Congratulations. Thank you. I'm really proud of that. And it's really beautiful to watch the kids, you know, their eyes light up and their hearts heal when I'm in a classroom and see them go through this process and really love it, you know, and embrace it. Not every child loves it, 
but many do, and it helps many children. Do you find, um, well, we're just coming, we're still sort of, I would say we're coming out of COVID, but we're not quite there yet. Uh, Did you find an escalation with traumatized children and families during COVID, during 2020? Absolutely. Um, There, you know, we know that the stress level for kids is before COVID is, was very high and, um, yeah, it's growing. Research has shown that over the last decade that the stress and anxiety of kids is growing. And we also know that that has escalated through COVID. And many... Can you, can you rewind for two seconds? I want to interrupt you for a second. What do you think the causes have been for the escalation of young people's stress? I think that uh, social media is a huge one. I mm-hmm. think, you know, as as I've previously said, we know that um, we need eye to eye personal contact to feel, to understand ourselves better. Kids do. And to feel resilient, to know that someone cares. And I think that's lessened. We know that that's lessened over the last 10 years with social media and the way people connect, kids connect these days. Mm -hmm. So, and then there's high pressures, you know, there's a lot of pressure um, at schools with families Um, to do their, you know, accelerate as well as they can, Um, you know, being pushed hard. So there's isolation, there's lack of... Kids are are, are forced to grow up quicker a little bit, do you think, in these days, maybe? I I absolutely do. I mean, you know, there's not enough play outside. You know, there's Mm -hmm. not enough of that old-fashioned... Um, I'm going to do this, you do that. No, no, I'm going to do this, you do that. And then having to figure it out and just, you know, relax and enjoy life. Instead, they have these tight schedules of, well, you get home from school, you got to do your homework, then we're going to go here, then we're going to go there, then we're going to go there. So they don't kids get a are chance very, to just very kids. overly scheduled, right? Yeah. Very, mm-hmm. A lot of kids are overscheduled. Mm-hmm. And um, so that, that and you know the pressures from social media there's there's a lot of different things i think that factor into that and make it more difficult for kids to be resilient and mm-hmm. um you know a lot of restrictions in schools um less play time less uh creative time um so all those things you know, cause those increased stress and anxiety. And then with COVID, you know, that escalated. They're all fearful of what's going on in the world because they don't, nobody understands it mm-hmm. and, and not able to be with their friends. And, you know, it's difficult. Nobody ever taught them to um, do virtual learning. And so they had to just makeshift it. Um, and then uh, now a lot of people are thinking, some you know experts are thinking next year is going to be really hard because they're going to have had this year off and lived in this fear and anxiety and then they have to go back and be in what's considered a normal situation and they have to adapt to that so some people think that's going to be extremely hard for a lot of kids to go back and adapt it's going to be important and good in the long run but it's going to be a difficult period of time so that's where the imagine project comes in you know that then they can they have a tool to talk about this is hard and this was hard and there's a lot of um you know kids who who need that 
Mm-hmm. Well, I, I think I read something that uh, they're anticipating that there are maybe a 30 percent, 30 to 40 percent of, of kids are um, suffering uh, reduced grades. The grades are not so high and there some of them are having to, to repeat uh, different grades, which, of course, is a lot of anxiety. And um, it's going to be very interesting to see what happens from a standpoint of looking back on this year, the last year, where these kids are going to end up and how it's going to long range affect them and their their scholarship, their ability to cope in the world and how successful they're going to be. Are they going to be able to be even more resilient having gone through COVID or is it going to sort of scar them and push them back a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. I think uh, I think there's more concern that it'll push them back a little bit, but you never know. I mean, kids are extremely resilient. I mean, I can't believe it when I walk in a classroom. Some of the stories that I hear and, you know, you'd never know it. And they they bounce back and they do it just we all do. You know, we're all resilient, but mm-hmm. we need tools to help us with that bouncing back. And that's why I feel like the Imagine Project is important. Mm-hmm. But uh, I'd love to read you a, a story of a fifth grader, if that's possible. An oh, Imagine great. story. Love to hear it. OK, so this is from his name is Dominic and he's yeah. just a sweetheart. When was, this, when was this sent now? How recent is this letter? He, he just wrote this, um, the end of this. No. Yeah. He wrote it the end of the school year. Um, actually I got at the end of the school year. He may have written it during the middle of this last school year, but mm-hmm. let me read it. Um, so it's Dominic. Imagine going into fifth grade after ending school online in fourth grade. Imagine mm-hmm. starting off school The school year requiring to wear a mask every day. Imagine being scared to get COVID. Imagine getting COVID and being quarantined in your basement. Imagine your family being split up because you and your mom have COVID. Imagine your dad and sister are upstairs and don't have COVID. Imagine feeling depressed and lonely in your basement. Imagine no one teaching you how to do online school. Imagine 14 days are over and you go back to school. Imagine many people distancing from you when you came back to school. Imagine people seeing you and backing away because they think you still have COVID. Imagine people finally knowing you don't have COVID and hanging out with you again. Imagine people in your family getting the vaccine. Imagine finally being able to see your grandparents after 10 months. Imagine hope. So I think great. Wow. That's, that's astounding. I know it's precious. And those are the kind of stories I mean, that's, it's a beautiful, unique story, but it's not unusual to hear the depth and the feeling in it. And that's, and he said, he said, actually on camera, he said, I don't talk about my feelings. And this really helped me talk about my feelings. Mm -hmm. So it teaches kids to talk about their emotions, to know that their emotions are important and gives them a tool of something to do with it, Mm -hmm. with their emotions. So that's kind of cool. Mm-hmm. That's really good. And especially, I think, being a, a, a little boy. I think so often Absolutely. little boys, you know, they're told they can't show their emotions, they can't be vulnerable. And so that's even more impressive that at, in fifth grade, for bloody sake, that's pretty darn, I yeah. mean, that, that kid's got a bright future ahead, I think. Well, <laughs> I have second, you know, stories from second graders, from, you know, kindergartners. They're, of course, they're not as detailed and 
prolific, but they are fascinating and precious. And, you know, all the way up through high school, the high school ones kind of break your heart sometimes because in some classrooms, they all have gone through really difficult times. But, um, but on all levels, from all walks of life, like this particular story I just read you was from a, a kind of a well-to-do school. And when I first created the Imagine Project, I thought it would just be for kids that more at risk, right? But then I started to go to all schools, from homeless to affluent, and I realized that every child has a story and everyone mm -hmm. needs to tell it in order to, for their hearts to heal. Mm -hmm. So, well, and you, you yourself did not have the most nurturing stellar childhood and, and really overcame a great deal. Uh, do you want to talk a little bit about your roots and, and sort of what catapulted you to where you are and maybe what changed in your life? Uh, I mean, why aren't you living under a bridge? <laughs> why? Why? You know, why are That's you a not, good question. Why are you not on drugs? You know how? Because you certainly could have gone that way. And I, I mean, just talk a little bit, as much as you feel comfortable with, about your childhood and, and some of the um, issues that you had to deal with. Well, my childhood was challenging, to say the least. I mean, my parents um, really never should have gotten married. They had to get married for my because my mom was pregnant with my oldest sister. Mm -hmm. And then my father was a raging alcoholic, which was difficult because he was abusive to my mom. Never to me. I thought about it. I know he did. But he never did anything physical to me. It was just purely emotional. And then and when I was 15, I came home from school one day and found my mom after she committed suicide. Um yeah which was extremely traumatic and, you know, changed my life forever and put me into different levels of depression and anxiety, which nobody talked about. There was no support and suicide then was a really bad thing, you know, like, Oh my God. And that person committed suicide. A lot of shame. There was a lot of shame around it. A lot of shame. And, mm -hmm. um, so there was no support for me. My two older sisters had already moved out and my dad was a, you know, a drunk, so I couldn't lean on him at all. And, um, so I did have really good friends and they supported me. Um, I got good grades, which I think was to my advantage that I could do that. Um, I ended up with a scholarship to uh, college. My, I was the first one in my family to go to college. A good friend of mine um, encouraged me to apply to college and then encouraged me to apply for this scholarship. So I ended up with a Fulbright scholarship to college. Well, so that's when the, the turmoil with your mom and dad, excuse me for interrupting, who yeah. raised you? Who, who, who looked after you? How, did, how, how could you focus and do your homework with all the chaos that was around you? Well, I... I didn't really do homework. I probably did everything in school. Um, and I, I, you know, I kind of raised myself, to be honest. I, I have taught myself everything. You know, I had to teach myself when I sit at a kitchen table with another group of people. What do I, how do I, you know, handle the napkin? How do I ask for food? I just have to, I was very observant and I'd watch other people. You know, I'd learn by watching because nobody mm -hmm. taught me. I did have a grandfather that was, he lived about an hour away and there wasn't 
you know, there was long distance. You had to pay for phone calls then. Mm -hmm. And um, I saw him a few times a year and I really felt love from him. So that was, that was important. Mm -hmm. But um, my two older sisters, I had an older sister that's, you know, there's a lot of struggles, I'll just say. And they were sort of there, but not really. So basically, I think my friends and my friends' parents, um, I was in a gang, which sounds crazy, but it was the gangs of then, uh, back then, you know, the 70s, not, not of today. And we didn't use guns or knives. But those, those experiences taught me so much about who I wanted to be and who I didn't want to be. And so pretty much raised myself. <laughs> and I don't know, I guess I ha I'm tenacious. I'm extremely tenacious. I'm very naive. And I just believe the world is, um, actually, everybody sees the world as I do. And that's not true. But um, I just survived. And I'm grateful for that. And you know, I think one of the things that I did to survive is I listened to my gut. I listened to my instincts. Mm -hmm. And it's something didn't feel right. I didn't do it. Mm -hmm. I, I didn't always make those decisions, but I um, seem to have survived because of it. I have an awesome husband. I've been married uh, a long time. Congratulations. Been, Not easy to do. No, it's been really challenging. I, I tell him that I deserve a gold medal and he gets a silver. <laughs> and um, he, But we've been married a long time and fortunately it's given me resources to heal. And I feel great. I'm very, very grateful for that. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm willing to try new things. Like I, I've always loved to try new things. All I, I'm really big in alternative therapies. So if someone says you should try this, it really helps. And I try it. So, mm -hmm. you know, if it's reasonably priced and such, but um, mm -hmm. so yeah, that's my survival. And I want to teach kids that, you know, they don't have to wait until, you know, for another 30 years to heal their hearts, that they have tools that they can use now and that are free and effective. And um, so I've always wanted to help, you know, kids who've been, initially I thought it would just be kids who've been through suicide with a parent, but, um, you know, it's expanded to be for far beyond that, which I'm grateful for. Mm -hmm. So you're also, I mean, you're a businesswoman. Not only are you a nurse, not only are you a mom, you're a wife, but you actually are a businesswoman slash entrepreneur, um, which is not exactly what you where you thought you were going to be. But at the end of the day, you've done all this on a shoestring. What, what kind of advice would you give, I would say in particular women, who are looking to go out on their own, looking to start a business and be an entrepreneur, anything that you've learned, any pitfalls that, that you would like to warn people about or uh, to avoid and, and things that you want, would recommend? Well, I really believe, um, again, in trusting your gut. So following your instincts. There have been a couple of times in business that I have not done that. There's my uh -huh. instincts were saying, you know, you probably should do this a little bit differently or go in a different direction. And I didn't. And that was turned out to be a mistake. Uh -huh. But when I followed my instincts and really, you know, if something in your gut and something in your body feels really tight and uncomfortable when you're making a decision to do something, I mean, you got to use your head, you know, you got to use your knowledge, research and, and all that. But when you're really making a decision, then follow your instincts and 
And if, if your body feels comfortable with it, it feels flowing, you know, the doors stay open, then mm-hmm. keep going through those doors. If something just is twisted and, and uncomfortable, then step back and, mm-hmm. and consider a different option. Because it can be costly to, um, in many ways, if you don't follow those those signs that this isn't the right way, the right thing to do. And you have to be tenacious. I mean, you just have to not give up and it's, it's not easy, um, but it's worth it. It's really worth it. Diane, do you have a routine? I mean, do you meditate? Do you, are you religious? Do you, do you read self-help books? Do you have spiritual practices? I do have spiritual practices and I do, um, meditate probably because of all the trauma that I've been through, it's hard for me to settle my mind. Mm-hmm. And so I work on that all the time, but I do like to be in nature. That really helps me. Um, I do like to meditate in the morning. too. That I mean, you're surrounded by beauty in Colorado. Yeah, It's easy to do that here. You know, I like to put my feet in the grass without any shoes on, which I'm not sure you can do there. Do you have little no in Nashville? <laughs> I'm not sure. We we have we have chiggers, but um, chiggers, yeah. not always. I mean, I'm I'm a big barefoot person myself, and and I love to be outside and try to be outside. I was out with the uh, critters earlier today, so I think it's very uh, it's very cathartic for sure. It's very uh, grounding, you know. Mm-hmm. It's very grounding. Um, I like to write my own imagines when I'm struggling with something or every day, write, imagine new possibilities, you know, like three things um, that are, that's part of the imagine project. I use a lot of gratitude. I'm very mm-hmm. grateful every day, every morning, every night, I try to say what I'm grateful for. Yeah. Um, just yeah. to keep my energy positive as positive as I can, which isn't easy always, you know, but I, I have tools. I use, um, a special chiropractor that does a special technique called NET. And that really helps me. And, um, is some energy work too. I love energy work. So, so you, you really make it a point. It's not a luxury, but you make it a point a worthiness thing to, to do self care. It's I absolutely do. You can't do this. You'll burn out. And um, you have to actively use self-care when you're doing something like the Imagine Project, starting a business, you know, really want to make a difference in the world. You cannot do it without that. What about boundaries? Have you had a hard time finding and establishing boundaries? Occasionally, yes. I, You know, I'm kind of this, uh, well, more so I used to be, but a little bit of a Pollyanna. You know, I think the whole world thinks the way I think and everybody's like is giving and such, (laughs) but that's not always true. And so I have to create boundaries. I have to, again, listen to my instincts and know when I have to have more boundaries and when I can let those a little bit looser. So, um, you know, in schools I do, I really do. I don't get paid much for, you know, I don't get paid hardly anything for going into schools, but I just love it because I love being with the kids. And so that's, that's my payment, but yes, you got to be careful with your boundaries for sure. Well, which brings us to the fact that you are a nonprof and you are writing grants and you are constantly looking uh, for ways to spread your message. If people want to make a donation, where can they write you? Where can they reach you? 
And well, also, if, if they want to have you on a television show, on a, on a, you know, a speaking engagement, you are available to do all that. So, so let people know how to reach you. And um, I think you're a very captivating speaker and, and compelling. And I oh, just thank feel like, you. I feel like a slacker. <laughs> oh, thank you. That was so nice of you to say that. It's, um, well, so you go to theimagineproject.org. You just have to put the in front of it, theimagineproject.org. And you can message me through there. Um, you can learn all about the Imagine Project. Um, and there's donation donation page, which I would be so deeply grateful for. It doesn't cost a lot to run the Imagine Project, but it does cost every every nonprofit costs. So we keep our, our costs down, but we still need donations. Mm -hmm. So I'd be deeply great. We would be deeply grateful for that. And that would, you know, I'm always open to presenting or being on a TV show or something. So that would be great. Wonderful. Um, so you have two books for adults. You have one book about a caterpillar for children. Mm -hmm. What, mm -hmm. what is the future? What, what would you like to, where would you like to see the Imagine Project in the next year, next five years? And, and what, what do you see your legacy being as you look back on your life? Mm. Well, you know, our goal this year is to reach a million kids. We still have a lot of work to do with that, but it's still possible. And depending upon which, um, you know, if we get on major media or how we connect kids. So that's this year's goal. I think ultimately 5 million kids. I really um, don't ever want the Imagine Project to go to way, go away. So somehow it's got to stay and probably eventually someone else has to be the primary caretaker of the Imagine Project. But um, that would, you know, that would be my goal. The big picture my legacy is is probably already done. I've, I've given, I have three amazing kids. I've given a gift to, you know, quite a few kids. And, um, but is, if it keeps growing and reaching more kids, I will be eternally grateful. What's the best advice that you've ever been given? Hmm. That's a really good question. Gratitude. Mm -hmm. Always stay in gratitude stay mm -hmm. in gratitude the best you can and that gratitude brings beautiful things in your life and it just makes you feel good well so always remember always to be grateful yeah i agree with you on that i, I read uh, louise hay years ago and she has a gratitude book that just really spoke to me where she was very famous for you can heal you can heal your life book yeah, that i love that book similar. i love that book too i bought yeah. it for some of the people but it's almost like this. And, you know, I, I believe I believe in God. I believe that there's a creator. Absolutely. And it's it's uh, and wh wh whatever you call that supreme being. I don't think it's relevant, really. But for me, it's God. But mm -hmm. it's like this. It's like if, if you constantly were doing nice things for somebody and you constantly were, were putting yourself out and that person never said thank you, that person never reciprocated. After mm -hmm. a while, how would you feel? Yeah, you wouldn't want to do it anymore. You wouldn't want to do it anymore. And so I feel like the universe is like that too. The more you give, mm -hmm. the more that you're thankful, the more that the gifts continue to come forth. And it's like if you believe, you can either believe in lack or you can believe mm -hmm. in abundance. And I believe Absolutely. in abundance, and you clearly do. You know, and yes. so the more the more good works that you do, and the more kids that you help, the more kids that you can help, the more 
that people donate, the more that people want to write about you, the more that, you know, people want to do podcasts with you. And it just becomes this wonderful, abundant, uh, it's the law of attraction, really, is what it's about, for sure. Absolutely, yeah. Absolutely. It feels uh, just so nice. It's so much nicer to be in gratitude. And some days it's hard. You know, if you're having a bad day, something gone wrong it's hard to be in gratitude right. but you can still always find something to be grateful for always and, I, I agree with you i start mm -hmm. like i love my bed I'll, I'll lay in bed and i'm like i mm -hmm. love this mattress i love mm -hmm. these streets i mm -hmm. love that you see <laughs> it's not absolutely you know yeah i'm grateful for my pillow you know, my grateful pillow. for the sunshine indoor yeah. plumbing <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> I'm grateful I'm laying here alive and healthy. So there's, there's always something. And that's really good to teach kids. That's part of the Imagine Project, actually, is teaching them gratitude. So it's um, it's just a powerful tool to bring through through life. Well, I think also, Diane, I think we're such a capitalistic, materialistic society that mm -hmm. kids are they're not taught about delaying gratification and and they have a computer at their fingertips with their cell phone we all do mm -hmm. and so where you and i would have to go to the library and do research and, and then do footnotes and all that they can right. just we can all just google now so we can just you know order something on amazon and it's there the next day and i think that that becomes a very shallow uh, experience of happiness, if you will. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's also learning gratitude. That Gratitude is not about stuff. It's not about things. Right. It's, it's about something deeper than that. Mm -hmm. And there's nothing wrong with enjoying beautiful things and, and having the conveniences, for sure. But mm -hmm. I think looking at something a little bit deeper and, and being um, okay to go outside and play and okay to read a book. Mm -hmm. and uh, bounce a ball and, and, you know, pet a dog, that kind of thing. Go for a swim. Um, and it's right. all that just helps, I think, ground our, all of us with one another, you know. And it's, it's so beautiful to stand with children and of all ages and watch them feel um, important, watch them feel good because they got to speak their truth in their heart and it's not about their grade it's about what their heart wants and feels and then to see them switch into oh i'm i'm grateful for my puppy dog or my parents you know or my friends or sometimes it's hard for them to find it but typically they're really good at it do you know what i i i had a good, really good childhood uh, and I'm very grateful. My parents were wonderful. And uh, I grew up in a little town in upstate New York. But I had a clicky high school that I went to. And I never really felt, I never really, I wasn't one of the cool kids. And I never really felt like I fit in. And, and I would rather have talked to my teachers than the, most of the kids in the school. I always thought they were sort of like a little bit mean spirited or whatever. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and very, very clicky. And the thing of it is, I can remember thinking, is this the way I'm going to feel my whole life? Because sure. if, that's your, if that's your only point of reference is your, you know, elementary school years and middle school and then high school, you're kind of like, well, well, what else is life going to be like? And it wasn't until I got to college that I sort of got my stride. And mm -hmm. I realized that, you know what, I'm not like everybody. And that's a good thing. Mm -hmm. But I'm enough like other people that I, I can find people that I can relate to, too. I'm not a total weirdo either. 
Mm-hmm. But, but to really, I think when you're a young person, they want to fit in. They, you know, that's why kids uh, join gangs. That's probably why you joined a gang. Absolutely. And it's not until, and some people never get there, but, but for me anyway, when I started to sort of get my stride where I started to accept my own individuality and, and, and celebrate that, not try to be something I wasn't, but to celebrate the uniqueness of who I am. And mm-hmm. I, if we can teach kids that early on, that is golden. I mean, it really is. It's, it's great for self-adjustment and for personal growth, I think. You know, there was, I'm thinking of a classroom. This was like a huge room, 140 seventh and eighth graders. And there was a boy in there that stood up and read a story about him and his mom, both having type one diabetes. And then there was another boy. It was a really difficult story for him to read. And it was very powerful and emotional. And it's a difficult disease to live with, especially as a child. And so there was a boy that was sitting close to me and he was overheard saying, wow, I never knew that was so hard. I will never tease him again about that again. Wow. And it was, it's just when kids have a chance to really talk about who they are, they learn so much about themselves, about others. And it creates relationships because maybe two kids both gone through divorce or moved or whatever, or one child is left out and nobody realizes that, you know, they feel left out. And then the other kids surround them. And, and I've seen that, you know, a little fifth grader saying, I moved six times, I lost my dad and, and they all thought he was just quirky. And so then once he read his story, they all said, come be my friend, you know, Mm -hmm. and it's just cool. It's just cool mm-hmm. to see that possibility and the kids understanding themselves better through this process. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, I think it's, it's teaching compassion. Mm-hmm. You know? Definitely teaches compassion, kindness and compassion. And that's a real, um, and that that is not a weakness. Compassion is not a weakness. It's a strength. And a lot and- of kids don't know it. They don't understand compassion, but this gives a t- opportunity in the classroom and with the teach their parents to learn it. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of a cool piece. Well, is there anything else that we have forgotten that you would like to add? And I want to thank you so much for your patience. We've, we've had um, a real trial putting this <laughs> together. I mean, my, both on my end and your end. And, and so thank you for your patience and for your willingness to well, thank uh, you. I think it was my phone, actually. I finally got a new phone, so um, <laughs> <laughs> which is really nice. So uh, I, you know, I think I just, um, I just want people to know that every child has a story and to listen, to listen to their hearts. And if you can't find a way to get them to really talk about it, then use the Imagine Project with your kids at home. Write your stories together. Tell your teachers about it. Ask them to do it at school. Um, tell counselors about it, you know, whatever it is. But remember, they probably have something in their hearts that they want to share that they don't know how to share. Mm-hmm. And um, give them that opportunity and love them through it. Just bubble wrap them in love. Give them lots of kisses and let them know that they're safe and loved. Well, and I think I think you can be that one person that turns a kid around. You know, I mean, so often it's you hear these stories where kids have come out of poverty and abuse 
and they have a teacher that made a difference. They have a pastor that made a difference or a coach that really catapults them into the splendor that they were meant to live, you know, and, and thank you for doing that for children. And, and uh, thank you for being a part of our lives. We've, we've enjoyed you so much at PLA media and it's a, it's a pleasure to work with you. And it's a pleasure to talk with you today on applaudable perspectives. Well, Diane, thank you so much. <laughs> I so thank appreciate it. Oh, God bless you. And uh, here's to, better days ahead and getting all your grant money and, and people contributing and, and reaching 5 million children. We can do it. Yay. We can do it. Yes. Thanks for all your help. And for those out there listening, thank you for your help.